0: Comic Book Tales is an immersive comic book experience for the new or lapsed comic book fan. I take a closer look at the comics that shaped my childhood and influenced my adulthood. Comic books are an amazing entry into another world and even provide the pictures to complete the fantasy. Join me for a new Comic Book Tales adventure. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. This is episode two, issue two, however you want to classify it, of season two of Comic Book Tales. On last episode, we talked about the work for hire issue, uh, specifically at Marvel, but you know, comics in general. And I want to get back into that. Um, but as it progresses, as, as Jack Kirby has left Marvel, um, we're into the seventies, we're into the psychedelic late sixties, early seventies, psychedelic, Dr. Strange. Um, Steve Ditko has come and gone. Um, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of anger, at marvel there's a lot of there's a lot of feeling that this is not the right thing there's a freewheeling sense in, in on one day and the next day you feel like somebody's clamping down on you and then this is a this is a something that plays out over and over and over and i think it plays out throughout the world creative types artists writers comic book creators are very possessive of their work but they're also they never want to be chained to the man is used as a as the term so the man tells them i want a certain thing the man wants me to do this or management or however you want to term it says we need this we need more of this so there's rebellion uh in the 70s at marvel became a rebellious time and deadlines were missed and books were pushed and you know as the outside consumer you probably didn't see all that if you were collecting comic books at that time but it was happening and it was becoming more and more rampant people just weren't doing what they were paid to do Now again they weren't work for hire means they were paid per page for what they put put in put into the uh, circle there but they didn't necessarily adhere to those standards and here's where the sale of Marvel the first time really started to change things at Marvel and in the industry. So for the first time, Marvel was the number one comic publisher in the world, okay? Prior to that, it was DC. It was DC for decades. Marvel, Timely, Atlas, whatever you want to call them, were not the top of the heap. Well, they were finally top of the heap, and it's a big difference between being the scrappy underdog and being top of the heap how you're expected to perform and how you're expected to act changes well Marvel didn't really understand that they liked being number one but they didn't understand what meant to be number one and they started to make heavy-handed decisions because the people who had bought Marvel weren't comic book people and that's always a danger you're beholden to the purse strings. And the purse strings are coming from people who don't understand what you do and think you're a nice sidebar. They don't really care that you're number one in the world other than what it means for the bottom line. And creative types don't typically like being told, we need to do this because it's better for the bottom line versus what you were going to do, which is more creative but won't sell. So books started to get canceled and artists got angry and writers got angry because... They had a vision that they were going to create, but nobody was buying it. And see, there's the there's where the two worlds collide and it wasn't working. Artists are still saying, You don't get me, man. You don't understand what I'm going through. You don't I'm putting my soul into this page. That's great, but nobody's buying your soul. It's out of here. And there were some harsh decisions made. Maybe they're made for the right reasons, maybe they're made for the wrong reasons, and only time will tell about some of that. But some of the books were just not good. They, they weren't interesting. Um, some of the writers and artists would just go off on these wild tangents that, to the reader, didn't make any sense. And Marvel, up until 2008 or 2010 probably, was looked at as they had a couple big stars, X-Men, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four maybe, and a lot of B-level, maybe C-level People. Now, Stan Lee had started peddling the whole, Marvel's got all these thousands of characters, 4,000 characters and counting, but not all of them are marketable. Pacepot Pete, while alliterative, is not a good marketable villain. You're not going to see a lot of Pastepot Pete merchandise flying off the shelves. So, it's kind of like, yeah, we got it, but nobody wants it, so who cares if we've got it? And artists and writers stopped giving Marvel new creations. They stopped making them. They had them. They just kept maintaining the stories without introducing anything new because they wanted it for themselves. There's always in the back of their head, if I can create this on my own somewhere else and don't give it to Marvel, then I can make a mint. I can be rich. I can be whatever. And as we progress through this lineage, you're gonna see that that worked out to various degrees for certain people, but it was it was a tough sell. So the bottom line became the dividing the driving force. Martin Goodman had been bottom line guy, but he been recognized enough there was creatives, and you got to let them flow a little bit. The next owner, and I'm not gonna go into the ownership lineage; it's it's too dull to <laughs> to go through. But it's it's very much. People buying it for profit, trying to sell off what's good, trying to keep what's, you know, not working so we can get rid of it uh, and moving on. Uh, And it really wasn't designed to be something that was going to grow. So the people who bought Marvel over the years weren't really looking until Disney, weren't really looking for anything sustainable. They didn't really care. What's it worth? It's the corporate raiders, as we saw in the mid to late 80s, where they come in, take the parts and sell off what they could and get out. Um, so in the seventies, this was beginning to happen. Comics book code relaxed a little bit due to some pushing from Marvel and a little bit from DC, but a lot from Marvel relaxed a little bit. You got to start to see some of the horror stuff that we hadn't seen since the early fifties. Uh, the Wolfman, the Dracula, the vampires, the monsters, the stuff you, you just didn't see. It sold to a point, but the, the, the age of the monster had passed so the books didn't do wonderfully, but there was always this urge, we need more books, we need more books, we need more books. Well, as you see, in any, any area, the quality begins to suffer the more product you put out. Podcasting, you can only do so many podcasts before the quality suffers. The same thing happens with sports teams. You expand a league, and suddenly the, the games aren't as good. Well, the same thing was happening in comic books. They're putting out more books, but of dubious quality, in both artwork and writing, um, for a while you buy on the artwork, and people did buy it for artists, so to a point. But the story still had to be good. They couldn't all just throw out a George Lucas, and and keep making money. And it started to wear on these people, on the staff, on the creatives. They just didn't they didn't grasp why I had to make something that would sell versus something I want to make. And it started to boil into the 80s. And by this time, in the late 70s, the world was a different place. Remember the the gas rationing, the, the Carter malaise. Um, things were just not in in a good place from uh, a business standpoint. And comic books were considered children's stuff, children's work. Um, the people who wrote for them, children's writers. It, it was not well looked upon. You know, there was some there was some heavyweights still out: Jack Kirby, Stan Lee, uh, Steve Ditko, Steve Englehart. But they were just they were fading because people stopped really caring so much about those characters, and they'd all left and moved on to other things. And what a lot of these creative, character-driven artists and writers found, they couldn't really come up with something equal. You know, Jack Kirby left; uh, Marvel went to DC got promised the moon and he delivered basically a a pile of coal. It it was okay. It was shiny and it would burn, but it wasn't great. It wasn't on the same par. What they thought they were getting was not what they got. And Kirby honestly had peaked. Kirby had peaked when he was at Marvel. Uh, I don't think there's any question about that. Looking back over the history, nothing he did after he left Marvel really equated to what he did there. Now, you can say that was Kirby. You can say that was Stan Lee and Kirby. I tend to think it's more of a combo. I think they both, while Kirby in later life, as we talked about in the first episode, kind of got bitter, Stan remained jovial. Stan was a glory hound. There's no question about it. But I think Stan and Jack Kirby together made magic. Separately, let's be, let's be fair here. Stan Lee didn't create much great after 1980 at best um, and arguably you could say after Jack Kirby left he didn't really create anything of lasting permanence that we care about so they both thought they, they did it all probably felt they did it all and they didn't say that and separately they just weren't as good as they were together as you see sometimes you see a duo that does, makes great music together but as soon as they break up and try to go solo it, it doesn't work it's, it's not it's not the same so they did their best work together and that period had to end at some point, and it's usually ego and money, or ego and money, or money, but it's always something along those lines. And it happened at Marvel. So the creator, the creative types, Steve Getco, uh Steve Englehart, Jack Kirby, felt they were owed something. Marvel felt we'd paid you. Uh, this led to lawsuits. This led to people saying, "I created this. I deserve more and more and more and more and more." Uh, because, honestly, they hadn't made a lot writing the comic books in the first place, so now they felt like they had to, I guess, supplement what they had with what they thought they were owed. Uh, settlements were made, but this was this was a driving force. This was pushing, pushing, pushing. The, the accountants at the head office kept saying, we need more books, we need more books, we need more books. You got the creative side of things saying, we don't want to give you anything because we're not getting paid. So they were coming to loggerheads, and eventually we're going to see this leads to disaster. This leads to Jim Shooter, and I'll leave that for the next time, but Jim Shooter, in my opinion, did some wonderful things. He's from a town I love, Pittsburgh, but, boy, did Jim Shooter make some really boneheaded mistakes, and his ego got in the way. So that's for next time, Jim Shooter. Uh, But we'll talk about that in the next episode of Comic Book Tales. Thank you for joining me. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. a Hannah tree production.